0: We have an anchor that keeps the soul. The anchor of the soul, with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. What I want us to talk about today in our study together has to do with our attitude. Sometimes we say attitude is everything, and it really is. Students that thrive have the right kind of attitude. Individuals that excel in sports, again, they've got the right kind of attitude. Typically people who are successful in the realm of business, they're focused. They have the right attitude. If we want to thrive, spiritually speaking, then we've got to have the right attitude, don't we? Solomon said, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. I want to talk for a minute or two today about some attitudes that we need to have today as members of the church. And I think it's important for us to always have the right attitude. The Apostle Paul talked about the mind of Christ. There's a lot to be learned or gleaned by looking at the life of Christ. And trying to emulate his behavior. You know, Paul said on one occasion, Be followers or imitators of me, even as I also am of Christ. And so to develop the right attitude, the right mindset, will help us to be all that God wants us to be. I want to begin by first of all talking about we need the right attitude when it comes to our passion for the Lord. Of course, when we talk about passion, we're talking about our love for the Lord. I don't have to tell you, you know, that God has declared His love for us over and over again. In the Bible, the Bible speaks of God's great and unending love for us. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. And this being of love loves us, doesn't it? And to come to the realization that there's a God in heaven who genuinely loves me. There are a lot of people in our world today that have never accepted the fact that there is a divine being, an almighty creator that loves them, that has their best interest at heart. The Bible tells us in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God has indeed declared His love for us. As a matter of fact, Paul would say, when we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. So God has loved us. He has declared that love, but He demonstrated or manifested that love by sending Jesus into this world to die for our sins. You know, the Bible says again in Romans chapter 8, God who spared not His own Son, but freely delivered Him up, for us all. God has shown His love time and again, but specifically on the cross of Calvary. There are, a lot of, there are a lot of people in our world today that talk about love, and they use that term in a very loose way. But God meant what He said, and God has shown His love for us through the sending of Jesus. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Paul said, God commends His own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for our sins. So the realization of God's divine love. What about the reciprocation of that love? Does God not want our love in return? Sure He does. John would write in 1 John 4, verse 19, We love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. I said a moment ago, the realization of God's love for us once we come to realize the love that God has for us, then we reciprocate that love. We show that love to Him. How do we show our love for God? Didn't Jesus say, if you love me, keep my commandments? Didn't John say, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. His commandments are not burdensome or grievous. We show our love to God by honoring His Word and His will and His ways. We do it by complying to His will. Now, what God really wants from from us is total consecration to His will. You remember in Matthew 22 when Jesus was asked on one occasion, what's the great commandment of the law? And the Lord said, you're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. To love God with every ounce of energy that you have. With every fiber in your body to truly, genuinely love God and to show that love day in and day out. Well, how do we do that? Again, by consecrating, consecrating our lives to Him. When we talk about having the right attitude with regard to our passion in the church, have you ever wondered what it would be like if every member of the body of Christ had the same level of love for the Lord and His cause that people in the South have for SEC football. Think about that for a minute. I don't have to tell you much about people's love for SEC football. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to tell people in the Northeast, the Northwest, you don't have to tell them about the love that people have for football in in this part of the country, do you? People show it... Every week. I mean, we fill stadiums, don't we, all across the South. Why? Because we love our team. It's amazing how people are willing to sit. I heard yesterday, during the Ole Miss football game, they said the temperature on the field was 109 degrees. I don't know what it was like in the stands, but I suspect it was pretty hot. But you didn't hear people leaving the game because it was too hot, did you? You see, people don't mind sitting in the heat for a football game. They don't mind inclement weather. It can be freezing cold. It can be sleeting. Matter of fact, it could be snowing. And guess what? People are still going to be in the stands. Why? Because they love their team. How much love do we have for the Lord? You know, when Jesus said, seek first, that means before anything else. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Is that you? Do you love God to the extent that He is first in your life? He is preeminent in your life. Paul, when he wrote to the church at Colossae, spoke of Christ and what Christ meant to him. And he said, and Christ who is our life. Do you think Paul understood something about the love of God? He wrote about it time and again, didn't he? Paul knew something about God's love, and I have no doubt Paul loved God with all of his heart, soul, and mind. That's why he was willing to suffer hardship and difficulty and persecution and trial. That's why he was willing to die for the cause. You remember what he said? For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. What are you saying, Paul? My life is about Christ. If I'm alive, it's all about serving the Lord. If I die, guess what? I've got to be with Him. I win either way. Paul loved the Lord. Do you love the Lord? Second attitude that we need to develop in the church has to do with being better pupils of the Lord. And when I talk about the term pupil, I'm really talking about a disciple, a learner. Those of us who belong to the body of Christ, we want to be disciples of Jesus and When I talk about being a disciple of Jesus, all I'm saying is that our goal, our intent in life, is to learn more about Jesus, to be more like Him, to demonstrate daily in our lives the type of life that He talked about, the precedence, so to speak, that He set before us. Jesus set the bar pretty high, didn't He? And so as we think about being a disciple, a learner of Christ... There's a real danger in the church, the danger of illiteracy. I can go back and I can look at the children of God in days gone by, people that had been entrusted, as Paul would say in Romans chapter 3, verse 2, with the oracles of God. Into their hands had been given God's commands. Those commands were intended to bless them, to help them, to better their lives. Sadly, the very Word that should have been an integral part of their life sadly had been dismissed. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God had said to the children of Israel that as parents they were to teach diligently to their children God's holy Word. He said, I want you to teach that Word when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. They were to incorporate God's Word into their minds. They were to teach their children, to put them in mind of God's Holy Word. Years later, do you remember during the days of the judges, a very dark period in the history of Israel? The children of Israel were faithful during the lifetime of Joshua, faithful during the lifetime of the elders who outlived Joshua. But then the writer said, there arose another generation who knew not the Lord, nor yet the great works which God had done for Israel. What happened? There was a breakdown in teaching. They weren't learning as they should have. And so years later, Hosea would write to God's covenant people, and he would say there's no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. He would go on to say, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. He said in chapter 8, verse 12, I've given unto you the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. They just didn't know God's Word. Sometimes that happens today in the church, doesn't it? There are certain fundamental things that we all all ought to know. The ABCs of Christianity, the fundamentals of the faith, the cardinal doctrines of the New Testament. There are certain things that each and every one of us ought to know. Once we become a child of God, the key is spiritual growth, isn't it? to feed on the Word of God. Peter said, as a newborn baby, desire the sincere milk of the Word. Why? That you might grow thereby. Do you remember the Hebrew Christians in Hebrews chapter 5? The writer chided them because they should have grown to a point where they could teach others. But he said, look, you need somebody to teach you the first principles of the oracles of God. If somebody were to ask you this week at work, let's just say you're eating lunch together with a fellow worker, and they ask you, who built the church? Who is responsible for the church? What would you say? If they ask you, you know, I look around in the world and I see all these different churches. Which church is right? Is there a church that is right? If somebody were to say, does the Bible teach there's one church or many churches? What would you say? If somebody asks you at school this week, What do I need to do to become a Christian? What would I need to do to become a person that is a part of God's family? What would you tell them? If they wanted to know, how often do you partake of the Lord's Supper? And you said, well, we do it every week. Well, why do you do it every week? I mean, these are basic, fundamental questions that we all need to know answers to. We might not be able to quote the verse, but we ought to be able at least to go and to read it to someone. Really, it might be better if we do let them read it, because that way they see it in black and white, don't they? Let them see what God has said. But you've got to know the Word in order to share the Word. So we've got to study the Word, and then the goal is to share the Word. God does not want us to keep His message to ourselves, does He? You know, sometimes we talk about the greatest story ever told. What was the greatest story ever told? Wasn't wasn't it the cross? Hasn't the greatest story ever told in some ways become the greatest story never told? You can't talk about it if you don't know it. If you don't know about the cross and about what the cross represents. And so to become knowledgeable in the Word of God, to try to fill our minds with God's Holy Word... The Bible, many years ago, the prophets foretold of this new covenant. And God said, I will put my laws in their mind. I will write them on their hearts. Do you know what the intent of Scripture is? Number one, to educate us. Number two, to elevate us. God's Word will never do us any good if we never let it, if, if we never let it become a part of us. In other words, if we don't internalize it and live it out every day in our lives, the intent of Scripture is that we would live by it. Sometimes I hear people talking about God's Word and they'll talk about how you know God said you can't do this, can't do that, can't do this, can't do that. All He ever says is no. But you know, sometimes when, as a parent, we tell our children no, there's a reason for it, isn't there? As a parent, when we tell our children no, it might be because we're trying to we're trying to help them avoid some difficulty or hardship. It might be <clears throat> excuse me, it might be that we recognize that what they want to do could ultimately hurt them. When God says no, He's not saying no to hurt us, He's saying it to help us. God wants to help us. He wants to bless us. but look, we deprive ourselves of a lot of blessings when we don't follow His Word, when we don't submit to Scripture, when we're not living according to what He says. So again, God intends to bless, not curse. But in order to enjoy the blessings, you've got to follow the Word, don't you? Didn't John write in Revelation chapter 22? Didn't he say, blessed are those who do His commandments? Think about that. Blessings reside on those who do the commands of God. But in order to do the commands of God, in order to comply to His will, you've got to know something about it, don't you? There are a lot of folks in our country today, there are a lot of people whose lives are in disarray. They're discontent. They're dissatisfied. They're discouraged. They look at their life and it's as if everything's coming apart at the seams. And there are a lot of folks in our world they've tried to go solo in life. In other words, I don't need God. I don't need His Word. I don't need His people. I'm making it just fine. Well, when you look at the average person in America and you look at some of the things that are going on, would it be wrong to ask, how's that working out for you? Not working out for a lot of folks, is it? A lot of folks have a lot of problems. The answer to the problems of the human family is summed up in the Bible, isn't it? God has the answer. God has the answer to the problems that we face in life. Let me talk about a third attitude that we need in the church. It has to do with our praise to the Lord. And by that I mean our worship to God. Worship is really a privilege. One of the reasons that we come together every first day of the week is so that we might give God the adoration that He is due. I mean, think about it. God is our Creator. He is our Sustainer. He is our Redeemer. When we come together every first day of the week, and the word worship means acts of reverence paid to deity, I understand that we live in a day and time when many people have skewed the whole concept of worship. There are a lot of people that go to worship to get rather than to give. Now, do we get certain things out of our worship? Yes, we do. Primarily, however, we go to worship to give. When we talk about the audience in worship, who is the audience? God is. There is only one person present in worship that could be described as our audience. That one person is God. Do you remember what the psalmist said, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down? Let us kneel before our Maker. So we're bowing in the presence of God. We remind ourselves of the fact that we didn't get here on our own, that God has blessed us richly. I think sometimes it's good when we come together on the first day of the week to just reflect upon all the benefits and blessings that we enjoy. James said every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above. I hear people talking about how they've done this and they've done that and they've acquired this, they've acquired that and they've pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps, etc. Look, none of us would have anything if it weren't for God. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from where? From above. God is the dispenser of all blessings in life, isn't He? When we come together on the first day of the week, one of the things we remind ourselves is that, look, God is our benefactor. As Paul said in Athens many years ago, He is the giver of all life, breath, and listen to Him, and all things. God has given us all things to enjoy. Yes, He's our Creator, and yes, He's our Redeemer. A moment ago, we of the Lord's Supper. Every first day of the week, we remind ourselves Jesus gave His body for our sins on the cross of Calvary. We think about that blood that was shed on the cross. Peter said, speaking of that blood, he said, we haven't been redeemed by corruptible things, but by the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without spot, And without blemish. What one of us could afford to be without that blood? Not a single one. What's the song we sing? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So we come together to worship God. We come for the purpose of adoration and then we receive edification, don't we? We are built up in the faith. You think about, think for a minute about the blessings that you derive from being with people of like faith. The world, in many respects, has become hostile to Christianity. And there are a lot of folks who don't have any use for those of us who claim to be Christians. And And to be in the presence of people that think like we do and act like we do, that want to go to the same place that we do, means a lot, doesn't it? I mean, you're out here doing battle with the world. And you're trying to live... You're trying to live a godly life day in and day out and the world is whipping you and beating you. But you can come to worship and you can be built up. You can can have your spiritual battery recharged, rekindled. You can leave renewed. We come together to worship God. What's the old sign? Remember the old sign? Enter to worship, leave to serve. Which brings us to a fourth thing. Another attitude needed in the church. That is, we need to have the right attitude when it comes to our productivity in the Lord. I want to say today, God has saved us so that we might serve Him. I want to say it again. God has saved us so that we might serve Him. If you read this next week, James chapter 2, I would encourage you to read James 2 beginning in verse 14. James talks about a living, breathing, acting, active faith. And really what he's saying is the faith that blesses is always an operative faith. Faith and works. That's it. Those of us who belong to the family of God Paul would say, we have been created in Christ Jesus for what purpose? Good works. You see, God wants us to be His hands, His feet. He wants us to be His voice in this world, doesn't He? So look at your life. You know, we sometimes talk about the various works of the church. I really think the primary work of the church is evangelism. Edification and benevolence, they are tools for evangelism. And so when you look at the various works of the church, evangelism, edification, and benevolence, what God wants is for us to be involved in one or more areas of the work of the church, doesn't He? He wants us to be productive. The attitude Needs to be, as Isaiah said many years ago, here am I, send me, use me. When you look at the life of the Apostle Paul and you think about his service for Christ, do you think think Paul got every bit of mileage out of his body for the cause of Christ? I I think he used every ounce of energy he had for the cause. So what about our attitude when it comes to productivity in the kingdom of God? Do you want to see Olive Branch reach her full potential? I think we all do, don't we? In order for Olive Branch to be what she can be in the eyes of God, it will entail every person being involved. Your human body, the body that, that, that God has blessed you with, you've got a usage for your arm, your hand, your fingers. You use your legs, your feet, your toes. You use your back. You use your head, your eyes, your ears. Every part in your body is vital, isn't it? You need it. Well, every part in the body of Christ is vital, is necessary. There are no big eyes and little U's in the church. We're all important. We all, have a, we all have a role to play. So you just think about if every one of us, let's just say over the, over the course of the next three months, we've got three months left in this year, every single one of us reach out and teach one. Just one person. Find somebody that you know, friend, family member, neighbor, classmate, co whatever. Ask them. Would you be interested in studying the Bible? Would you like to know more about what the Bible teaches? Just ask them. If every one of us would teach one person, and then if every one of us would try to serve one other person, just serve somebody. There there are a lot of folks that have needs, and there are a lot of ways that you can serve other people. You can serve them by providing a meal. You can serve them by praying for them. You can serve them by visiting with them because they're sick. Maybe they're housebound. You can send a text. You can make a phone call. You can send a card. Look, there's something for all of us to do. So you think about all of us teach one. All of us serve one. What about all of us encourage one? Do you remember what Paul said in Galatians 6, verse 2? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Are there folks that you know in the church that are having a tough time? I mean, they're having a tough time and they're struggling day in and day out. Could you be a burden bearer for somebody else? All I'm trying to say is there's something for all of us to do. And so the key is, the question is, What will you do in the next three months? Talk about finishing strong. Talk about that in the realm of athletics, don't we? If you're a football team and you're ahead, you've got to close it out. If you're in sales, you've got to close the deal. Well, as a child of God coming to the end of the year, we need to finish strong, don't we? Close it out strong. How do we do that? By being productive. Let me ask you this question. When it comes to your attitude as a child of God, do you have the right attitude? I mean, does your attitude reflect the mind of Christ? Or is it possible you need an attitude adjustment? You know, sometimes people need adjustments. They go to a chiropractor because they need an adjustment You know, sometimes we need to adjust our thinking, don't we? We We're not thinking right. And and what we're we're trying to say today is we've got to have the right attitude. But why? Because attitude is everything. You want to become a child of God, you've got to have the right attitude. You've got to know something about Jesus. Who was Jesus? The Son of God. And what did Jesus say about knowing Him? He said, except you believe that I'm He, He said, you'll die in your sins. And He said, if you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot come. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Would you be willing to turn from sin, confess His name, and then be buried with Him in baptism so that all your sins can be washed away? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want you to think about this. You can leave here today knowing that your sins have been forgiven. You no longer have to bear them. God's not going to bring them up, not going to hold it against you on the day of judgment. You are free and clear. You enjoy, you have enjoyed as a result of your obedience, the washing away of sins, Acts twenty 16. You're now a member of the church. The blessings are, as a member of the body of Christ, Jesus is the Savior of that body, Ephesians 5, 23. We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love